Right now, we want to dive into something on the federal political scene, but this really could impact an awful lot of, of people and of, of businesses. This is this is Bill C-26, and it is basically designed, uh, how do you put it, just to try, try and and keep our, cy- our cyber security safe. Uh, it's to try and protect the, some of the vital uh, systems that we have uh, throughout the country. It could be from banks, it could be uh, helping police forces, it could be military intelligence, any number of things. Cybersecurity legislation, Bill C-26, a new report, comes out of uh, University of Toronto Citizen Lab. It's from a guy named Christopher Parsons, making 29 recommendations to try and improve it because he says it's so flawed that it could allow foreign governments uh, to either justify their own repressive laws or it just wouldn't work or there'd be a different set of rules for different companies. It's 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 a little confusing for us to wrap our heads around. So we brought in somebody who's going to help us out here, Neil Desai, Vice President of Magnet Forensics, joining us this morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for being on and for explaining this to us. Um, it, when it comes to this bill, what is the what is the goal? It's to try to to give authorities some better tools to to respond to dangers in cyberspace. What is, what exactly is the is the purpose of this? Yeah, so the brass tacks of the bill is to ensure that critical infrastructure operators are actually reporting breaches, cyber breaches, to the correct authorities. Today, a lot of uh, companies don't want to report such breaches because things like their insurance premiums will go up, or if they're a publicly traded company, the value of the company will go down. But we've seen um, through attacks on things like Newfoundland's healthcare system or in the United States on energy companies that these can have catastrophic effects on everyday citizens um, when they the, the, the cyber breach can be exacerbated by the attacker. Um, so governments like the government of Canada, but but also the U.S. government, are putting in legislation to start with mandatory reporting uh, with these critical infrastructure players. And it could spread beyond what's traditionally defined as, as critical infrastructure as more and more um, of our lives are lived online. Yeah. And so that makes sense. That seems like something that needs to be done. But uh, Mr. Parsons' report seems to indicate there are an awful lot of flaws. Have you been able to go through it? Have you identified what the, some of those flaws are as well? And can you help to explain what the problem is with the bill? Listen, uh, I think um, if you ask anyone in government, you know, I worked in, in government for a big chunk of my career, is, is, is draft legislation and, and legislation when it's first introduced perfect. I think candidly and privately, most government officials tell you no, especially in a realm of a scourge that is global in nature, cybercrime is growing globally, the attackers are from abroad, Um, and and, and our public agency's ability today to actually investigate these crimes and get to the bottom of them, even when we know there's a suspect, a lot of times it's turning up uh, in countries and non-extradition countries like Russia. Um, So, you know, Mr. Parsons, I think, is um, not incorrect saying, uh, you know, legislation should enable transparent outcomes, and and accountable outcomes. But the reality today is we're not getting um, outcomes on behalf of Canadians, and we need a starting point uh, to enable our public safety agencies to investigate these types of crimes. Uh, I'll pick on one piece. You know, he wants um, transparency on the nature of a cyber breach within 180 days. Well, let me tell Mr. Parsons that most of these crimes, frankly, once they're reported, um, take years to investigate. And that's if there's capacity, and I mean um, the talent the technology, the cooperation where the the perpetrator is to actually get there. 180 days actually enables uh, the criminal by knowing that they've been um, found out and they can move on to the next 
uh, target. Mm. So I just worry that, um, you know, in an effort to, to make some news, um, these, these um, recommendations have been put out, but they really miss the forest for the trees. No one uh, wants us to become authoritarian and, and have these things happen behind the veil, but there are opportunities to have transparency through um, the, the Parliamentary National Security Committee, for example, um, as opposed to putting it out, out in wide open public, where frankly, I would say the average citizen doesn't fully understand um, the technical nature of these crimes. And I think that's what makes us vulnerable, does it not? I mean, you talk about not wanting to become authoritarian, but what's the solution otherwise? I mean, are are those that want to conduct cyber attacks, hackers, I guess, for better, for lack of a better term, um, I mean, are they just going to always find a workaround no matter what systems we put in place and no matter what bills or legislations we introduce or pass? Listen, um, there's a risk-reward nexus today that if you are somewhat technically savvy, and I'm not talking about being a coder, um, you can use the internet and, and search for these uh, crimes and how to conduct them, and you understand that doing this from abroad protects you. Um, this is going to be a pretty good enterprise. Um, you know, I've called in an editorial on the Golden Mail um, for resources to go um, to our uh, police agencies, municipal, provincial, federal in this country, to actually gain the expertise um, to actually properly investigate these types of crimes. But today, if there's $10,000 stolen from my home, police agencies know exactly how to investigate that. And yeah, there might not be um, an outcome where an arrest is made, but but I feel that, that, that there's efforts happening. If you ask the lowest common denominator, you know, my mother, a senior citizen, or small, our true small business in this country, if they're hit, um, whether or not they'll be serviced, most won't report because they don't feel there's actually going to be an outcome. That, to me, is a huge problem. We're going to start seeing an erosion of trust in our government and our police agencies if there isn't a capacity there. And that, to me, is where I think the government needs to look, that just um, creating mandatory reporting um, will create an expectation of outcome. Well, how are we going to deliver on that outcome? And that, to me, is um, where I see the greatest opportunity um, to improve this bill by including resources, training, um, technology, um, and enabling greater global cooperation so that we can actually get um, some fear in the minds of, of, of global cyber criminals that, that this is not going to be left um, alone. Uh, it, it, I'm sure, and it's, it's an overused phrase, but it's a fluid situation. The way I'm sure this changes, the challenges in cybercrime change on a daily basis. There are new challenges, there are new tweaks, there are new wrinkles, there are new ribbons. Uh, can a bill survive any length of time? Does it have a shelf life? And is that part of the challenge of trying to create the bill to, to ensure that it doesn't have to go back and be tweaked on a consistent and regular basis? It's a great point. You know, Mr. Parsons calls the bill ambiguous. And two sides of the same coin, I would call it flexible, um, enabling um, government and, and our police agencies to um, be able to, to, to um, react. You know, ransomware evolves, business email compromise, the, the tactics that are working um, are, are changing every day. They need the flexibility within the law uh, and not have to go back to Parliament. We see how long it takes for amendments to, to legislation to happen. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. So I think that, that again, that ambiguity that he talks about um, is actually an asset um, for flexibility. Now, his point on accountability is well taken, but we can get accountability to Parliament and not just blast everything to every cyber criminal on a website where you and I don't actually spend time looking at it. So I think, um, you know, we can thread this needle, um, but my greatest nervousness um, in the bill is that it's going to start creating expectations of action if passed. And our capacity 
um, in policing and our capacity in government to investigate these crimes is quite limited. So that, that's to me where I think I would be spending time if this bill goes into committee um, hearing from experts uh, on, on capacity, on ability, on ability to co- cooperate internationally on these investigations. Um, that, that to me is a great opportunity um, to improve this bill and generally operations um, to see a real outcome. Well, Neil, thank you so much for your perspective this morning and for shedding a little bit of insight onto a topic that I think you're right. I think a lot of uh, the majority of most Canadians don't necessarily think about or know about. So we really appreciate your perspective this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.